tracking the amazing growth of the first century church to challenge and inspire the 21st century church. This is Unstoppable Church, Then and Now, recorded on location in Israel, Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Malta and Italy. Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont is in conversation for the next 30 minutes with David Taverner. In our last conversation, Mike, we were talking about the way in which this new community of believers were devoted, devoted to sort of four principles. But out of that devotion, things followed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because their devotion to one another, I mean, it had a quality about it that that stood out even in Judaism, you know, and Jewish people did look after one another. They still do, don't they? But there was something about the way these Christians lived together that made an incredible impact on the community here in the city of Jerusalem where we are. In fact, at the very end of the previous passage that we were looking at in the previous episode, there's one little verse that says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So everyone in the city, it wasn't just the Christians themselves, somehow this devoted way that they were living together the news of it spread and it made an impact on the world round about. Exciting times, to say the least. So as we move on then in the story, what happens next? Well, Luke gives us an example of that. He gives us an example of how the awe that people experienced uh, was expressed sometimes by giving us one particular window into something that happened when Peter and John were going up to the temple one day. Why going up to the temple? Well, Um, They're Jews and they still kept those Jewish traditions. It's in this period after Pentecost when a lot of people have been here for the festival. And we, we get an incredible story of how this empowering Holy Spirit not only sort of renewed what happened between them, but equipped them to go out into the world and to make a difference. So maybe the best thing to do is, is to start by reading that. Yeah. So let's read from Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by his right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement 
at what had happened to him. There's that awe in the community at large once again. We are sitting overlooking this amazingly large scale model of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And um, I think it's one of your favorite places. Oh, it absolutely is. You know, I love bringing groups here when we visit Israel because this model really helps you to get a sense of size and perspective of how the city must have looked at the time of Jesus. Now, this particular model is, is just very shortly after the time of Jesus, but nonetheless, it's very representative of how things would have been. So it's located here in the grounds of the Israel Museum, where there are artifacts from throughout the ages, where there's the shrine of the book and the great scroll of Isaiah can be seen. Um, but this particular model, it's, it's a one to 50 scale model, uh, showing how the city looked about 66 AD, so about 30 years after the time of Jesus. And the entire model is made out of uh, little stone pieces and copper and wood. And the whole site covers about a thousand square meters, which is 10,750 square feet, my calculator tells me. Um, and, and while as you look down on the city, David, we're sort of sitting high up, aren't we, looking down to it? Yeah. Well, you know, while we can look down and see there are some secular Roman features, like there's a hippodrome down there, there's Herod's Palace over on the left, there's oh, yeah. the Antonia Fortress towering oh, over yeah. the model of the temple itself. But, I mean, as you look at that, what stands out? What's the biggest thing more than anything? <laughs> the temple, that is the temple. The temple absolutely dominated the whole city. So that huge temple platform. Remember, King Herod the Great had this built and uh, he had to fill some of the little valleys to get this huge platform so that he could create a flat surface for the great courtyards around the temple sanctuary itself. And in this city, while there are those one or two Roman features, that you know, there are no other... Uh, gods, there are no other statues, no other temples as there would have been in normally in cities in the Roman Empire because this is a Jewish city and the temple is the thing that marks it out. So we get an amazing view here of the temple and what it looked like, the setting of course for this story. Uh, and when you say the temple, I mean there's the sort of rectangular temple building on an enormous large platform. Yeah, so when we talk about the temple, sometimes we mean like the main temple sanctuary itself and sometimes the whole temple area. So what it, we're seeing there is a vast platform area with huge walls around the outside of it, the buttress walls to hold up that platform. Um, parts of those walls still remain and uh, we'll be alongside parts of the Western Wall and Southern Wall at different points in our series. But up on top, what do we see? Well, there's a great courtyard. That was the courtyard of the Gentiles. That was the only place where Gentiles could go. They couldn't go in any further than that outer court. On the Southern side, there's a great portico, covered sort of porches, um, that was often where the rabbis sat and did their teaching. Um, there's a smaller portico at, at the uh, northern end. And then you see courtyards within courtyards. So having passed through the courtyard of the Gentiles, you went through a gate and went into the courtyard of the women. 
And that was as far as Jewish women and children could go. You went through another gate into yet another inner courtyard known as the Courtyard of Israel. What it really meant to court was the Jewish men who could go in there. And that is where they took their sacrifices. And beyond a, a low boundary that was marked, they would hand their sacrifices over to the priests who would there sacrifice the offerings to God and then towering up right within that courtyard. So it's courtyard within courtyard within courtyard and in the inner part of that stands the temple building itself towering over everything else containing the Holy of Holies. Though of course by New Testament times that no longer contained the Ark of the Covenant that was lost, maybe destroyed, broken up by the Babylonians at the time when they attacked and destroyed this place in 586 BC. And what we're looking at now is a model of the temple that was rebuilt by Herod the Great, a model of the temple as it would have been in, in the time of Jesus himself. And so not only does it dominate our view, but it dominated the lives of those who live there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, what we see physically and what they would have seen physically. And remember, most people lived in single story homes in those days. One or two rich folk might have had, you know, two story homes. But um, it really dominated the, the physical geography of the city, just as we see in this model. But of course, it dominated life. It dominated spiritual life. And at one level, it was meant to. You know, it, it had been a God-given thing for people to have a place where they could connect with him, where sacrifice could be offered to deal with their sin. But sadly, by the time of Jesus, that place had come to dominate life in an unhelpful way because it had become ruled by the priestly Sadducee party who really kept a stranglehold on everything that happened in that place and therefore who wielded huge power and influence in the city and add to them the Pharisees who wielded huge power through their commitment to keeping all their interpretations of the law and at times this place must have felt like you know you were choking spiritually rather than being liberated and freed spiritually. So in the story you read right at the beginning Peter is sort of just on his way to the temple as part of his normal routine. Yeah, that's right. Remember, he's, um, he's a Jew. So for him, going to the temple is one of the things that he would have done often in his life. He would certainly have come up here three times a year for the three great festivals to go there. And we find him here uh, visiting the temple routinely. And, you know, that's what I love about this story. It, it's just an ordinary, everyday story. Uh, Peter did not wake up that morning thinking, right, I'm going on mission today. He just went and did what he did as a Jew. He went to visit the temple at the time of prayer. But ends up with John in a kind of interaction with somebody that uh, presumably he wasn't expecting to. Yeah, that's right. And yet the person that he ends up in interaction with is someone that he would no doubt have seen many times uh, as he entered the temple. Now, it was very common for people who were handicapped, invalids, beggars, to gather at the temple gates, particularly some of the most popular temple gates. Uh, and that's where this particular story takes place, at the, the beautiful gate. Uh, it's elsewhere called the Nicanor Gate. And... Uh, 
it seemed like this was the place where he was put regularly. The text says, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Um, in other words, he got his favourite spot. It was the best spot. This was the favoured gate. There were several ways of entering into the temple courtyards, but this gate, the Nicanor gate, the beautiful gate, was like the favoured gate, the plum prize to go. So he really has picked the best spot. And perhaps we're familiar in some of our towns and cities in Europe where we'll see people begging regularly uh, at the same spot all the time, and that becomes their spot, as it were. So I'm sure he would have seen this particular guy begging there many many times but what strikes me is that something has happened in Peter's life he has now been filled with the Holy Spirit and suddenly he now starts to see in a way that he's never seen before it's as if the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to see things that have just been an ordinary part of life that we've walked past for many times so He'd seen him many times, but this day, he saw him. And as I say, you know, as you've mentioned, we still see people homeless, uh, needing that little bit of help, you know, sitting on our streets or, or, or whatever, and we can so easily pass by and not even notice them. But th this, this was different. Yes, there was something about this guy caught his attention. Now, Jews are very good at, at making offerings, particularly when they were going into the temple their holy place and so this guy does what all the beggars around would have done when he saw peter and john about to enter he asked them for money actually the the tense in the greek there is an imperfect which tends to suggest he kept on asking them for money it was you know whatever his words are sir 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 so it really grabbed their attention in some way and Peter looks over to him. I don't think there's anything unusual in that. You know, you hear someone calling to you, you turn perhaps towards them. But he looked towards him and he sees something that he hadn't seen before. I don't know, something came alive in him, whether the Holy Spirit whispered, now's his day, now's his moment. But I, but I just love it because I think it, it underlines to us that if we're filled with the Spirit and if we ask God each day, Lord, fill me up afresh today, make me available for whatever lies ahead of me, equip me for today, whatever it might be, then the Holy Spirit has a way of nudging us and opening our eyes to see things that we've not seen before. If Peter and John were going into the temple, would they have had a bit of cash on them and, you know, uh, therefore they could have dipped into their pocket and that was that? Yeah, well, I imagine so, because it was common to, uh, you know, to give gifts, though it's interesting the answer that he gives, you know, I don't have any silver and gold. Now, whether that was literal, whether they had not a bean on them to be able to give, or whether it's simply a metaphorical way of saying, you know, I don't have money to give to you, we, we simply don't know but i love it i don't have silver and gold but i'll tell you what i do have and what i do have i'll give to you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth walk oh my goodness wow what powerful words and you know i've often wondered did they almost come out of his mouth before he had time to think 
about what he was saying, but that's what happens when we're filled with the spirit and just equipped and ready to go into the day and take whatever comes our way and take its opportunities. So you don't think Peter might have sort of thought to himself afterwards, oh, wish I hadn't quite said that? <laughs> well, who knows? I think sometimes using godly imagination really helps us in, in reading the Bible. But I know in my lifetime, there are times when I've suddenly said things and thought, Beaumont, why did you say that? And you're suddenly caught on a hook. And I think, do you know what? Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit catches us on a hook to see what we will do next. But you did read that sort of verse before that sets this scene up, really, to say that there were miracles happening, healings were happening. Yeah. And I think in light of that, um, there's an expectation. You know, there's nothing like seeing God answering prayer to encourage you to pray. There's nothing like seeing God doing miracles to encourage you to pray for a miracle. So there's this great outbreak in miracles here, isn't there? You know, miracles are not to a penny in, in the Bible. They tend to happen at key points in Israel's history. So they happened like when Israel came out of Egypt. They happened in the time of Elijah and Elisha when true faith was almost being extinguished. They happened in the ministry of Jesus as the kingdom breaks in and they happen as the early church here is born. So, yeah, there was this atmosphere, this therefore perhaps heightened sense of expectancy of, who knows, maybe he was thinking, here we go again. But, of course, it wasn't about Peter anyway. No, absolutely not. And I love how he speaks there. You know, I, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. So he's really keen to focus on Jesus. This is not Peter going out with the, you know, Peter healing ministries. Come to our crusade tonight. This is utterly focused on Jesus. And by the way, uh, that still needs to be how it is today, not focusing on great names. I think we'd have to say we live in the time in the West when we often are focused on great names, big churches, big names, big conventions, big conferences. Oh, come, there's this great speaker. Actually, there's not a huge interest in great speakers and great names uh, in the New Testament. The, the focus really is on Jesus, who equips us to do his work. And I suppose if Peter and John had cash on them, they could have just given money, but it seems like there's something more Yes, because he's clearly just not content to meet the surface need. And yeah, you're right, you know, if he'd had money, he, he could have given the guy a couple of coins. But it really wouldn't have changed his situation. It would certainly have, you know, kept him fed that day. Um, but it wouldn't have changed his situation. And I think here is a picture in chapter 3 that Jesus is not just concerned with fixing people's superficial problems. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't help them with those problems. But Jesus is concerned with dealing with root problems and root issues and changing lives in a way that they can be transformed to be lived differently from now on, rather than just putting sticking plasters on things. Uh, and so, we, you know, we, we're going to see this tremendous transformation here because not only... Has the Holy Spirit changed the way that, that Peter sees people? The Holy Spirit now is changing the way that he treats people. 
as well, not content to meet the surface needs, but, but going deeper. Uh, you know, he knows he's got nothing to give, but he knows someone who does. <laughs> and it's his friend, Jesus. And, and for Peter, again, there's, there's something about this is the moment. You know, this is an opportunity that he, he needs to take. Yeah. Um, and... Do you know what? I love what happens because, you know, he says this powerful, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. But the man does not get up immediately and walk. And if you look at the text carefully, what it says is, having said that, it then says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Why did he need to help him up? Because he couldn't get up himself yet. So he helps him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So they don't become strong just after Peter has prayed. It's like Peter has to step out in faith. He he has to respond to his own prayer of faith by getting the man and saying, come on, we're going to respond to this. And as the man responds to Peter and as the man is helped up by Peter, then his feet and his ankles become strong. And the guy starts jumping around and and walking and goes with them through the gate into the temple courts. And I love this, walking and jumping and praising God. I mean, you can imagine this, can't you? This guy's being crippled uh, all these years and suddenly he can walk. He's been crippled from birth and suddenly he knows what it is to walk and use these legs of his. And he's, you can imagine him running around those temple courtyards that we can see down there and, and jumping and, and trying his legs out. It must have been so exciting. And of course, he's praising God. He realised that this is God who has done this. And people's attention is obviously drawn here. So, Something has happened. Peter's now so equipped by the Holy Spirit that it's changed the way he sees people. It's changed the way he sees situations. It's changed the way he treats people. It changes the way he he steps out and is willing to give it a go and to believe his own words out of his own mouth. So how important is it to, you know, be ready for the opportunities, to be aware, to be awake to those? Yeah, um very important and as i said right at the beginning of this episode this was just an ordinary day he had not woken up that morning thinking oh yes glory to god this is a day for healing i feel it deep in my bones he'd just gone to the temple so for us the equivalent of that might be i've just gone to the office i've just gone to the factory i've just gone to visit a neighbor Um, i've just gone shopping and there in that situation there is an opportunity for us to do something for someone to say something to someone to pray for someone you know would that more of us had courage when we meet someone who says oh i'm having real trouble with my arthritic knees today for us to say well i believe in god would you let me would you let me pray for you and see if god would bless those knees so You know, we are equipped for this. We do not need to wait for something to drop out of heaven to think this is the moment. Jesus wants a church that's full of people who who recognize they are equipped and they just need to respond to the opportunities. And and Peter will go on to respond to the opportunities even more in a moment. Well, I was going to say, you know, when this man was healed after all that time and he was happy, 
surely everybody else was happy and they were all praising hallelujah. <laughs> oh, yes, if only it ended so simply. Remember what I said about who it is who was in control of this temple down there that we're looking at, the Sadducees. This was their area, thank you very much, and nothing happened in there without their say-so and their permission. So um, not everybody responds quite in the way you might have expected. So why don't we just finish off the story in Acts chapter 3 and remind ourselves what happened. Chapter 3, verse 11 says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, he's holding on to them, not because he's frightened of falling over, I think, you know, he's holding on to them because he's so excited and hugging them. And all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. Now he's going to get very picky here. Now, you know, these are the guys who do respond well. We, we'll look at the guys who don't respond that well in our next episode. But these are guys who've responded well, who are saying, wow, look at this. What exciting things have happened here. So he now wants to focus on the who and, and the why. So he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. This is pretty, I mean, you, courageous stuff, isn't it? You killed the author of life. Yeah. Wow. You know, he's, he's not letting them off the hook because these crowds were no doubt part of the same crowds that some of whom had cried, crucify, crucify, some of whom had agreed to it by their silence. So this is pretty blunt speaking, isn't it? Confronting them with their own wrongdoing and sin. And then he goes on, he says, it's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man whom you see and know was made strong. I like that, see and know. So there's no mistake in it. Well, it was probably another man who looked like him. He'd been there for years. They knew him. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you, 
heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So he's using this opportunity of the guy being healed to to take his opportunity now to to preach boldly about Jesus, to set it firmly in the context of Israel's history, which was very important for preaching to his Jewish audience, of course, but constantly now pointing people to Jesus. So he really does feel equipped and he is taking this opportunity to point people to Jesus. And it was this persistence in pointing people towards Jesus and in this persistence in taking every opportunity that made the church the unstoppable church that we're thinking about in this series. Now I'm sure there's a time and a place for speaking in the way he he has but what is it that's equipped him to do that? Well it's what we've seen in a previous episode um, back in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out. You know this is not about equipping by going on a training course, by having techniques that you can learn, and all of those things can be useful. But you know, ultimately, the best equipping that we can have as Christians today is is not to go on a course, not to go on a conference, not to learn technique 101 for evangelism. Helpful as those things can be at times, the best equipping is the equipping that the early church had. It's the equipping of the Holy Spirit. And it's the recognition that, you know, all our techniques without the Holy Spirit presence uh, are, are really quite empty and will achieve nothing. So that same Holy Spirit that was given to Peter and John and the early church, Peter had said in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, you know, this Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, this same empowering, equipping Holy Spirit is still as available for individuals and the church today as he was when he was first given on the day of Pentecost. And it's in embracing more of him and seeking to be filled with more of him that the church in our time will again become the unstoppable church. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner traveling from Jerusalem to Rome and beyond to track the amazing growth of the first century church and what that means for the unstoppable church of the 21st century. There are more Bible podcasts from Mike and David on the UCB Player app and major podcast platforms. Check out Jesus Then and Now or Bible Books in 30 Minutes.